Welcome to the Combat Intelligent Athlete Show, where we talk and punch our way through achieving peak performance on the mat, surviving the street, and how to take on the martial arts of everyday life and win. And now, here is your host, Coach Rodney King. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? Good. Can you hear me okay? can hear you perfect, man. Awesome. So are you uh, good to jump straight into this? Yeah, whenever you're ready. I'm uh, I prepared, so I'm ready. So. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure you don't need any preparation, man. You know, we've chatted before. Um, <laughs> it was really awesome. So it's just really about going back to what we talked about. And I think probably a good place to start because, you know, as you know, this podcast, not everybody, but a lot of the people that listen to it are martial artists, and you're a martial yes. artist, and I know that that played an integral role in your journey, but I think it's probably a good idea to go back right to the beginning, and you can decide where that beginning is, and uh, we just take it from there. So you know, give us a little bit of a history, a background, because you have an amazing story, so I think it's really important that we get that out. First of all, I am a retired lieutenant colonel from the United States Army. So I spent from 21 uh, until f the age of 56 in the United States Army. I was a kid that grew up in Missouri in the Midwest of the United States and really didn't have a lot growing up. Our family lived in a mobile home and we had stayed in a log cabin for a few years that my dad had rented. And that was the best part of my life because I got to play in the creek and hang out outdoors and really enjoy the sunshine and the and the green grass under my feet. But then things kind of fell apart with my family. We had a family of six. My dad left. Um, things kind of spiraled out of control. And I really didn't have those mentors that I needed growing up. And so I needed some direction, and I wasn't really sure where to get it. So at first, I was just hanging around the neighborhood, you know, kind of causing trouble and, you know, not being the a really good young citizen that I should have been. And at some point I'm like, no, I don't like this feeling. I don't want to be that kind of person. So I kind of changed my thinking, but it wasn't until I met this man and his name was Charles Roth. And Charles Roth was a carpenter. He was a, uh, a short stocky guy. Um, and he taught uh, Taekwondo to the community college. And they were teaching it at a small school next to my house. And I, I saw through the, through the door one night this guy teaching these adult people um, martial arts. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. So they were breaking boards that night. And so when they got done, we kind of snuck back in there while everyone was talking. And we started breaking the boards that were already broken in half again. We put it between the bricks and we'd hit it and it, we broke one. And that got me started. I was like, oh, I like this. So Charles Roth ended up being my instructor, my first martial arts instructor. And he was one of those guys that when you hit him, it's like it hurt. You know, it's like, ouch, it felt like you were hitting a brick wall. The guy was just he was just he was just an American guy, you know, strong hands, big heart. And he wasn't really going to let the kids come in because it wasn't the program that they ran. And he, he ended up 
getting permission from the college to let us train. And I was, of course, in a bad situation at home and didn't have anybody to really look up to. So he kind of filled that gap for me. And then one day he said, he said, if you really want to do this, you can become a champion. And that seed in sixth grade stuck with me. Now, it didn't germinate until later on in life, but I, I still trained under him, but I still had that, that other side of me that wasn't congruent with the martial arts at first. And so I was still in that learning pattern of, you know, uh, you know, making sure that integrity and all the things that you needed to learn were there. And over time, it started emerging. And when I joined the Army, finally, I realized that I had trained under two or three masters by then. And then I became part of the Army's first ever team because that man planted that seed for me years prior. No, that's that's incredible. So when when you say the the first team in the army, was that specific to Taekwondo? It was. It we, we were we were the first ever team. Well, I was a paratrooper in the eighty second that ever got to fight as a team in a national championship, and we went to two of them. So there was a team that got together of airborne guys and guys that were at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and we said, hey, let's become. Let's let's see if we can win so we can go to the national championships. Well, it was first it was just a dream. And then we went to the state championships, all of us, and we all won. Now the commanders are like, hey, these guys got something. Let's let's support them. So they let us go to Callahan Boxing Gym where Buster Douglas used to train, uh, one of the boxers in North Carolina. And we would go to the gym and work out in the afternoons instead of actually being at work like a lot of the other soldiers had to do. And then we were able to go fight in the Army's first ever team, and now we kind of own that honor when we get around our other fighters every year or every couple of years that are part of that alumni, and it's really kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. Do you know you were saying that when your first instructor kind of emphasized what the martial arts was about and you didn't you didn't get it immediately. Would you say by the time that you guys created that team were you getting it by then? I mean, you know, where would you be on that spectrum as far as actually starting to understand the martial arts as being more than just about fighting, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I realized that it wasn't just, you know, going and stretching your muscles or being able to kick hard or punch hard. It it really came it really the pivot point for me really came when one of the instructors who now is a 10th degree black belt post posthumous, his name is Gen, uh, Grandmaster Edward Sell. I trained under him. He used to cut watermelons on my stomach uh, in Florida while I was here, once I was a little older, before I joined the Army. And he actually showed up at Fort Bragg one day doing a, a motivational speech, breaking bricks on the, on the stage And that was exactly the same time that he told me to keep up my training and keep up my spirit, you know, my spirit world. And and he shows up in the in the middle of this Fort Bragg place. And I had no idea he was going to be there. And they had a, a stack of bricks up there on the on the on the floor. And the chaplain goes, hey, we have a black belt. Let him break him. And I'm a paratrooper and all these paratroopers are in this room. And he's like, get up there and break him. And, you know, of course, if I didn't get up, I would have been the laughing stock of the 82nd Airborne. And if I did get up and didn't break him, I'd be the laughing stock of the 82nd Airborne. So I was like, well, you know what? I'll just get up then. And I got up there and 
I broke those bricks and the things just crashed to this wooden floor and the place went bonkers. And I realized right then that it wasn't just all of that training and all those years of doing what I was doing finally started to matter. And then it gave me confidence, right? And now now I had confidence and I had the skill. And so that's what propelled me into realizing that it wasn't just your body or your mind, it was all three, mind, body, and spirit. And then them working together, all three of them working together. They're not, I don't really consider them one, in, I consider them one and the same, not all three separate areas. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I'm looking, and you know, because you've, we've chatted before, more and more the research is showing that they're not separate, that that divide isn't really, you know, what we've been told it is. An actual fact is that once you understand that integration, what it leads to is a profound shift in your understanding about yourself, what you're capable of, and the world at large. Yeah, you know, and then and then the guys that I actually trained with back then have went on to become seventh and eighth degree black belts, and they actually came to Florida last year and trained and tested me for my fourth degree black belt, which was an honor to be you know to be in their presence again, and to be around those guys because. The, you know, not only the, in my book that I wrote about, which was my high point in, of, you know, standing in front of another competitor at the national championships, but they were part of that journey. And we're still friends today. As a matter of fact, I just talked to one of them two days ago, just, you know, on a French, on a friend basis, because he, you know, the, he was the one that went to the Pan American Games and brought it from Puerto Rico and taught us some of the skills we needed to be, you know, competitive in that, in that environment. So. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So then, you know, my, my kind of like building off that, right? I mean, obviously, as you noted right in the beginning, you were in the military for a long time. So this was the at what stage was this, right? Was this kind of like kind of in the beginning, right? Yeah, when I first joined the army, I I, I decided to become a paratrooper to stay stateside because I had a wife and they weren't going to pay for my wife to go to Germany or wherever. So I I went ahead and took the airborne training and I stayed. And then I got selected to go to the 82nd Airborne. So that was at the beginning of my career. And then I went on, of course, over the years, I would, whenever I would move, I would try to find a, uh, somewhere to train. And I would train and then I would get ready for the next belt. And so I, I ended up with quite a few different instructors over those years because I couldn't stay in one place. I had a lot of zip codes, I guess you call it, uh, because of the Army moving us around a lot. But I, I really think that gave me a rounded education um, in my art because I didn't stay under just one person. I've always learned different things from each person, and that helped me uh, to grow as a martial artist as well as a person uh, and, and professionally as well, you know, because I, I, gradu- I graduated from – I didn't graduate from high school in 1979 because we crashed a car in school grounds, but – I went on and got my military education and my civilian education, and now I have a law degree. Uh, I was that kid that was doubtful that I would have a lot just because of where I started, but I wasn't going to let that beat me. And so I think the indomitable spirit that it put in me with the martial arts is the thing that was the overcomer that taught me, hey, you know, I I may not be as good as I want to be yet, but somebody out there is, and they can help me get there. So I've always looked up to those mentors over the years and that's been that's been the one thing uh that has helped me get to those next those next levels 
can we kind of switch gears a little bit because you know if as i'm listening to you one of the things that you kind of bring in forth out of out of this discussion is that how much the martial arts actually played in the rest of your life so i'd like to explore just more of your military career and kind of where it went to and i know when we can get to that that there was a point where you actually injured yourself quite severely so let's kind of talk about leading up to that and then we can talk about that injury and how you overcame it sure uh you know as 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 you get as you get around the military, you know, like you're you're using your body a lot. You're running a lot. You're exercising a lot. You're doing a lot with your body that you didn't think you would. Like you know, paratroopers. You know, sometimes we have double the weight hanging off of us when we're falling out of an aircraft, not jumping out. And and so your joints and and your body takes it takes its toll over the years. You know, bouncing around and 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 military vehicles and the desert and all of those things. And so I, as, as I grew as a, as a uh, enlisted guy, I decided that I wanted to become an officer. So I went to school. I went to officer candidate school and we started with like, I think it was like 40, somewhere between 40 and 50 people. And we only graduated eight of us. And I think what it was is they were testing the metal. Uh, I don't know if they had a bet, a bet in the back bar that let's see how many we can break. Or was it they were just looking for the cream of the crop? And we only graduated, me and seven guys, we call it the class from 38, eight from 38 is what I always call it. And that was my journey from being an enlisted soldier into becoming an officer. And I believe it made me a better officer because I walked in the boots first before I became an officer. So I was able to relate easily to the soldiers. And over time, I became an engineer officer, and then, uh, and then I got picked up as an inspector general. And because I got picked up as an inspector general, it gave me the opportunity to solve problems, all different kinds of problems with soldiers. And I did that for five years in two different assignments. So I got really good at peeling back the onion to see what's really going on, not just what somebody is saying that's going on. And when I did that, as I left the service a couple of years ago, I realized, look, I've got a skill. I've got a, I've got a, the ability to help people transition. I've got the ability to, to be a messenger of hope for some people that just kind of not sure what they want to do and they need direction or they need to plug into, you know, somebody to get their, their mindset right or whatever it is. And so I've actually created a community, um, even in this, you know, just like yourself, of people I reached out to across the globe, not just in the U.S., to show people, look, you know, you got to stay in the fight. And and so I signed all my books, Stay in the Fight. I wrote two books, Warrior's Code and Step Out, Step Up. And those two books, one of them is the memoir of my life that shows people, look, I didn't have it so great, but I didn't let that beat me. And that's a connection book. And then the second book is a self-help uh, when I was uh, had an aggravated injury in Afghanistan, I came home and had to replace a hip. Yeah, so so that's so that's the story I'm talking about, right? Just kind of just run through how that actually happened, because that that was kind of that was kind of rare, right, for that kind of thing just to happen in that kind of way. Right, because you know, I mean, I always I've always enjoyed you know the training and the running and the exercise and all that. And then when I came back, and the doc said, "Well, what do you want? You want pain-free fifties or pain-free seventies?" Because I was, you know, the pain threshold was at about an eight or a nine. And I just couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. So I went ahead and did the surgery. 
and had to learn how to walk again. And then four months later, I had to be ready to take the physical fitness test or I would have lost my seat to make Colonel in Kansas. So I pushed myself really hard physical therapy wise on a treadmill that didn't have a motor on it um, every day after they would give me my regular physical therapy. So I was ready. So I didn't lose my seat to make Colonel. And then I retired. And it was tough because, you know, I mean, the things that I was used to doing, I couldn't do anymore. And things I wanted to do, I had to be careful so I didn't, you know, re-image or re-damage it. But I had jumped off the back of a C-130 when we were in Farah, Afghanistan. And um, the Italians were all around the plane. And I remember I, I, I had all my load bearing gear on and everything. And I jumped off and I heard I didn't. I didn't hear anything because it, it was so loud from the plane, but I felt something really mechanically went wrong in the right hip. And I, th- I thought, well, I'll get off away from the plane and then I'll sit down and see what's going on. And when I went to get back up, my sergeant major, he looks at me and I was like, I started to get up and I couldn't get up. And he's like, what's wrong, sir? And I'm like, I don't know. And he, he helped me up and we got to the got to the quarters and I stayed in those quarters for two days. They pumped. Um pain medicine in both arms at the clinic there. And I couldn't move. Uh, he had that. He just had to keep bringing me ice and get it down to a level where I could get back to Kandahar where we were staying. And then when I got back home, the doc said, look, he said, you had some arthritis in your hip from all the years of the service. Uh, you aggravated it. And now it's a choice that you have to make. So and then nine months later, I did a triathlon when I got back and did the surgery because I was like, you know what? I'm not letting this beat me either. So I just I, I always bounce back somehow. So how would you say that's changed your training in, insofar as martial arts? I'm assuming you still train, but you obviously had to adapt your training based on the injury. So instead of instead of sparring anymore, what I do is I do the forms and I'll use I'll use um, I'll do it with, uh, you know, push and pull or I'll, or I'll do it in at, 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 at regular speed, but I also stretch. And so I'll put the uniform on just like I would in this, in the school, but I go, I go right in my backyard and I have a big screened off patio and I'll work on my forms in the back, in the back of my house. And I, I don't have a, a school right now that I can go to um, th- that I'm training in, with anyone under, but I spend my own time watching the watching the forms online, and then I learn them, and then I practice them. So, I mean, what would you say? I guess in that sense, right? Because obviously, even though you you you're saying you can't spar anymore, and that makes perfect sense because you, the last thing you need is to injure your hip again. Uh, coming back from that a second time around might be a whole lot more difficult than the first time around. But what would you say practicing the forms does for you at this kind of stage of the game, so to speak? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, it's mostly it focuses me, you know, like anytime, you know, you put your hand out in front of you and you're looking right down that, you know, your your fist and you, you know, you look at your body movements and you pay attention to your body. And it's really, you know, I'm reconnecting with my mind at the same time. And and so I think that linear those linear movements keep me focused. And, and I'm able to focus on something intensely without anything else around me. So I believe that the, the, the benefits of that, of course, are long reaching because your mind is clear. I keep a clear mind. I don't do drugs. 
I don't do, you know, if I go around speaking internationally and everything, people know that I'm a person of integrity. I don't, I don't, I use those skills to do what I do on the outside, which is, you know, be a speaker and author and, and, and go around the country doing that. And, uh, and so I believe that it grounds us and it centers me and it focuses me for anything that comes in front of me. And I, I don't think I've lost uh, too much when it comes to the skill as far as if I had to defend myself. Uh, but I could always I'm always I'm always I always tell people I may be I'm always willing to learn more because people, are, you know, the person that says oh, I'm there, I'm you know, I'm good usually is the person that is not being honest with themselves. And so I'm, I'm always willing to learn more and to grow more and, and, in the spirit of that, because I know that that is how you really achieve things is never, ever say you've arrived. Building off that, Mark, you know, kind of, you'd mentioned it briefly, but let's, let's go into what you're actually doing now, now that you've retired, now that you, you know, obviously as, as oftentimes soldiers that retire, it's quite a thing to overcome, right? Because you're kind of used to doing one set of things and now suddenly you're back in civilian world, so to speak, and you have to make that transition, right? So what, how did you make that transition and where do you see yourself going forward in respect to utilizing those skills that you had before coming from the military, but now bringing them into civilian, in the, into the civilian world? Yeah, you know, as I started to think about leaving the service, the first thing that came to me was like, just like anyone, I think is, well, what do I, what am I going to do? And I had, I had started writing my, my life story in a book, and, and I had not finished it. But when I, when I got promoted to lieutenant colonel, and and I finished my law degree in the same year, some some woman that came to our our little. Uh, celebration for that she goes well mark what are you going to do with your skills and and i and i kind of told a quick summary of the life you know of life of adversity with having four fathers and you know lost a brother to murder once and some some really very difficult things that happened in our family and and then i told her i said you know what i i had a choice to let those things hold me down uh, or i could step out of those things and step up to a better life and in many ways with better better faith, better finances, better family, better everything. So I, I ended up writing a book about my life to make sure that people could see it doesn't matter where you start. It matters what you choose to do with it after. And and that became the anchor for a second book, which is a self-help book that told me that, hey, I've got something here to help people transition. And then I started getting people behind me, like the senior producer, Good Morning America, and other people that, you know, the largest book club in the world. And they started seeing the power of what I would, had written, and it started growing. And then I, then I went to Toastmasters and learned how to speak. And I was like, okay, now I realize I have a platform to work from. So now I can speak anywhere in the world, whether it be Australia, South Africa, whether it be Dubai, whether it be, you know, United States, wherever – and I can share that these kind of skills with others in a way that will help them more than it helps me. And so it became at first it became let me get it off my chest to wait. I've got something that's valuable to others. And I realized that the veteran community 
is a big part of that because there's a lot of them that don't know what they want to do when they leave the service. So now I created a curriculum and and these and some of these products so they can also transition better themselves. And it's now it's now starting to take a it's been two years now since I started. So now it's actually starting to take uh, a stronghold in the United States, which, well, I think will in, in turn then become global because of what I'm doing and the people I have behind me. Yeah. And so that idea, I think we talked about this last time when we had a chat, you were suggesting that you see that mission of your, that you're describing is not only for soldiers that are coming back into civilian life in the U S but all over, right? I mean, globally, we're talking about soldiers coming out of the role of being in the military and then moving into civilian life and giving them some idea on how to approach it and some pragmatic tools to achieve success as they, you know, move from that military background into the civilian world. And, and you know, and there's a there's a statement that I made in the, it's called the Definers Magazine. It's the World Help by You, and it, and it says this is that. The world needs courageous leaders who have walked the walk before they talk to talk. I think because of my experience, my, phys- my physical experience, my martial arts experience, my educational experience, my school hard knocks experience, I think all of that together has combined me into some – I think I was being prepared to do what I do now all the while. And, and now because I, I'm not afraid to get out there and share that, which a lot of people are, they're not willing to get on a stage or they're not willing to show their skills. It has opened up a lot of doors because I'm not afraid to, to get out there and do that. And, and you know, when you, when you make that kind of choice, uh, people are behind you. They want to see, and not only that, but I use the community of other people who are strong at what they do. So it's not just, you know, Mark Green's you know, 101, let me show you how the world works. I use a community of people that are strong in mindset, that are strong in other martial arts, that are strong in um, financial ways of making money or whatever it is. And I help them plug into those people so they can become the best versions of themselves. So would that be um, the Vet Fest Live? I mean, I know you did that a while ago. You were going to change that. You were, you were probably not going to do it again, right? You were going to do a different version of that. Yeah, we're doing we're doing basically what's called Veterans Live going forward because it's not always a festival, but we're also doing an online summit in in June where you know uh, we're we've, we're taking speakers from around the world that are built that that are tied around the words resilience and transition, and we're allowing them to share what they do uh, on an online platform. We're working with a uh, a HubSpot partner who is very, very skilled at creating the websites. And so that's the back office side of what we're doing with that. And then we have events or workshops, um, as well as I'm writing another book, you know, so I'm constantly working uh, to build my business. And I feel like you have to, at some point, you have to build a team, because if you try to do it by yourself, sometimes there's, you know, you're going to have obstacles. And so we're, we are looking at doing, the veterans live event, but we may scale it back this year for the golf side of it, which is just a small golf tournament. But but the other stuff of the speaking to large businesses or or, or institutions and things like that, we're getting out on the road. Uh, I'm going to be ramping that up in 2019 and 2020 because I believe that's that's the calling that I've been asked to call you know to do. So I'll be I'll be out on the road 
quite a bit more in this next year. So, you know, one of the things I want to just come back to is is the books that you've written. You said you started a new book, so we can talk about that too. But what would you say in your, your first book, right, which was Step Out, Step Up, what would you say is the main guiding message there? Like if you had to kind of put it in point form, obviously, you know, we would want everybody to go and read it, get the full lowdown of everything that's actually in the book because it's a lot more in depth than you're going to say now. But what would you say is the takeaways there? You know, I think the thing is, you know, I've, I spent my my life around a lot of tough things and, and a lot of a lot of brutal, brutal backgrounds and things like that. And I think really it's if anyone out there is looking for a book about beating the odds, you know, like there's there's always an underdog. There's always that guy that it's like, wow, you know, you had guts, you had integrity, you had empathy, you know, uh, being able to describe in vivid detail uh, what your life was like to someone else in a book. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a super uh, co-author who helped me to do that. She took my words and then turned them into, you know, a readable form. But I would believe that if, if that was the, the lessons they learned, that would that that's what they would be. It basically is broken to three parts, which is first, it was what is a high point in my life? What it was one thing that I know I can always go back to that puts me in that good feeling moment. And that was when I was at the national championships. And then I went into, Hey, look, it was doubtful. It was doubtful because, you know, I didn't grow up in the best of surroundings. I didn't have the best mentors as fathers. I didn't have a family that had everything, you know, we lived on welfare and powdered milk and, you know, yucky cheese. And, you know, and, and so then I went back into showing the lessons I learned from that, but also the lessons I learned from some success, like being the soldier of the year, being able to go to France and jump with the French paratroopers and get their foreign wings. And, you know, all the things that I did on top of being told that I wasn't going to be able to do that. Cause you know, like sometimes in life we, we meet somebody or relationships go bad and somebody will say, well, you'll never be an officer. You'll never have a college degree. Well, I kind of took that to heart. I was like, well, let's see. You know, it, it became kind of a hold my beer moment in a way, but that also lit a fire under me to say, you know what, I can be more, I can do more. I know that no matter if I'm the underdog or not, I'm not going to quit and I'm going to show others that spirit. And even the senior producer of Morning America, she said, Mark, she says, it isn't about you having a tough life. And I was like, at first I was hurt. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, it's because you're a warrior and you're a fighter and that's what people want. Because most people do have a tough life and sometimes much more tougher than yours. And so it hit me that it isn't about what we've dealt with. It's about how we respond to it going forward and what we can do for others, showing them that no matter where they've been, they can be better versions of themselves. Yeah, and my takeaway from your book was really that. It was the whole idea that your past doesn't have to define your future. I mean, if I think back in my own life, that like pretty much a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned, I experienced that as well. You know, the school teacher saying you're never going to be anything. I never finished high school, all the similar kind of experiences that you had. But the reality is that if you change your attitude, you can change your future. And it really is about shifting that mindset and making a decision and then sticking to it regardless of how hard things get, right? Because even though you might decide to want to change your attitude, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be obstacles that present themselves going forward. Right. And, and the other thing is, 
I realized that I didn't, I had, at some point I had to stop comparing myself to others. Even when I went to command general staff college to become a, a colonel in the army, they had that triathlon nine months after I had my surgery and I wanted to, I wanted to do it. And I thought, well, you know, here, I, here's a guy with a, a artificial hip wanting to do a triathlon. Well, that's crazy. And, and my wife did it. And I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it too. So I did it. And I was the last person to, to, finish the, to, to finish the race because I was the only person that was in the race that could not run the three and a half miles at the end as, of the leg that was required. So I had to walk that last three and a half miles. But the thing was, I wasn't competing with other people at that point. I was competing with myself. And I was being the best version of me. And so I even told the majors when I was at that school, I said, look, I'm not here to be the top dog in the school. I'm here to graduate and I'm here to do my best. And I think once I took that, that mental thinking on and I realized that I don't have to compare myself. Yeah, I want to be a winner. I want to be you know, on top when, in certain things. But I realized I don't always have to compare myself to somebody else to be successful. And that made a big, made a huge shift in my life because I already know where I've been. I know what I've done and I know what I'm capable of. And so I kind of shifted away from worrying about what other people thought or, you know, I only looked at what I can do best myself and not worry about fame or fortune, but worry about, you know, what can I do? What can I be the best at? And that is resilience and transition for me. I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Viktor Frankl. He wrote a, a, a very important book, I, I believe. It was called Man's Search for Meaning. It was, in essence, he survived Auschwitz. But one of the things that he said, which just always has stuck with me since I can remember, was this quote where he noted that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to, to, to choose one's own way, right? I mean, ultimately, that's what you're saying. I mean, that's, that's really the secret there. I mean, besides anything else, that is one of the things that is required in order to be successful, to choose your own attitude in any give, given set of circumstances. And once you realize that you can actually choose your own attitude, and as you know, to not measuring yourself up against other people, but your own best potential self, things definitely start shifting in the way that you approach obstacles. Yeah. And, and having those mentors, you know, like, uh, like yourself or like even for the book, the first book I wrote, I ended up with Bill Curry who played for the first ever Super Bowl team and won a, 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 an NFL ring, you know, and, and he played for Vince Lombardi, which is one of the toughest football coaches in the United States. And I walked into his office and of course, I got goosebumps right away without him even being there because I looked around the room and I could just feel this. It just ex exuded success and confidence and, 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 you know, winning. And he wrote a praise page in my book. And one time I, I, I said, Bill, he's, after two hours in his office, he goes, well, Mark, what do you want? And I think he was looking for me to say, well, I want money or I want this. And I didn't ask him. All I asked him for was to be my mentor. And I think he was shocked because he's probably had so many people because he's so successful, you know, come into his office and say, well, give me this or give me that. And and so I just said, let me send you an email once in a while. And if you can mentor me, that'd be great. And 
after my first vet fest, I spent a lot of money of my own. My wife's like, what are you doing? You're spending all of our savings. And he, and, uh, and I told him at the end, I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't make a lot of money, but I, I made a lot of money for a foundation and a, and a family that needed it for their foundation. And, and, and he goes, that's okay. He said, Mark, if you get crushed, just get back up again. And I thought, here's a guy who was a center for the Green Bay Packers. And he wasn't the biggest center in the NFL at the time. And he, he was getting crushed by guys like Dick, Dick Butkus and guys like that from Chicago Bears and some of these guys. I mean, back then it was like, I mean, it was serious football. And not that it isn't now, but uh, to have a guy like that mentor me just recently has been, it's been a blessing. And I collect mentors. I collect people that are that use that attitude and have that mindset because I realize how much stronger and how much more powerful it makes me to be around that versus the negativity and the excuses and the blaming and all the things that you hear out there about, well, it's the government's fault or it's this and that. So I realize that that's what I do is I, I'm a mentor collector and I find these guys that are smarter, better, faster you know, than me. And I learn from them and I'm not, I just never arrive that way. I've all, I'm always learning. I mean, I think that's a fantastic attitude to have. I mean, that, as I've noted, I mean, that's definitely something that showed up in my life and it's really important, right? Just to kind of have that no quit attitude as tough as things get. And that kind of leads into, so your second book, what would you say your second book brings to the reader that the first book didn't? Yeah. I- you know, it's funny because I actually had the f- second book inside the first one. It was Steps to Vital Resilience. And and what I what I ended up doing is I thought about what it took for me to get mentally and physically back to, you know, uh, optimal health. And I wrote out what I call the seven R's. And they are rest and reconnect with yourself and others. Reset your mind. Remove negativity. Uh resolve issues, recon and map out your future and re-engage. So they became my actual, how I got back to optimal health. My body had to rest at first, and then I had to reconnect with myself and things had to be different. I had to reset my mind because I couldn't do some of the things I couldn't do before, or I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do new things that I couldn't do anymore. So I had to accept that. And that was a change in mindset. And then I had to remove negativity like, well, I'll never be able to do this or you know, whatever. So I had to kind of get over some things and not let a situation in my life affect me uh, differently than I, I chose. And then I had to resolve issues that I didn't have before. I had to learn how to drive again and learn how to walk again. And then I had to come up with what my new goals were, like, what am I going to do when I leave the service? And this is it. And then, you know, then I had at some point I had to say, you know what? And let's re-engage and go. And so all those R's became a self-help book. And then I used other veterans and I asked them the questions, what did that mean to you in your transition? So we interviewed over 100 veterans to get their responses that we put in the book. And that has helped us to to get the, the second book out there in a way that shows people you know, you can transition, whether it be a veteran or not, if you just stop and and use some of these things and overlay those those steps over the top of your own story and then create your own development strategy off of that. And it's 
been very successful so far. I mean, I like the idea as well that what you describe are real practical steps. You know, a lot of times there are these books out there, you know, under the the, the kind of title of self-help or the category of self-help. But they don't always lend themselves very well to the practical realm when you actually have to apply this for real in everyday life. And, you know, the other thing that we did with the second book is we made it small. So it actually fits in a cargo pocket. Now, it doesn't matter what army you're from. Most of the cargo pockets on the legs are about the same size. And so it actually fits in a cargo pocket. So if they can pick it up before, if they're on their way back from uh, a conflict or something and they need something to read to kind of get their mind around what's going to happen next. It does help kind of shift that mindset a little bit. And also even with first responders, um, you know, first responders deal with a lot of post-traumatic things just like soldiers do. And so when you go through something traumatic, I think we all, it, it, you know, it, obviously it, it creates a, something in our brains that we don't just get rid of. But we have to be able to access it and change our thinking sometimes to get over some of those things. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I just tell others that I'm a battle buddy to them. But the responses that we're getting are so powerful. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting ready to partner with Harley Davidson dealers and, and others um, to, to, get this, to get this message out in a large way because I've been at it for now two years and it's time to get the message out in a large way. So we're, we're, we're working on that right now. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the large summit this year. Yeah, that's really cool. And I mean, obviously, I'd recommend everybody listening to this to actually get your books and go through them and read them. I think, as you've noted, definitely worthwhile. And I want to make it clear as well, right? You don't have to be a soldier or, you know, previously in the military in order to read your books and gain something, you know, you know pragmatic and real out of that, uh, out of that read. So it really comes down to the battle within for us, Um, you know, the mindset that it takes. Uh, You said it best with what what you said about Viktor Frankl is, you know, the one thing that we do have is our attitude. And I always used to say it was it's like a rocket or a rocket. It's like a rocket or a rock. You choose. Um, You know, it's easy to be negative. It's easy to be, you know, grumpy and angry and, you know, um, and 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 sometimes even in the first book at the end, you know, we, we, we tend to have, um, we tend to, we tend to not have a shortage in the male community of ego. And sometimes you got to let, you got to let, I, you know, one of the last things in the book says, lose the ego, my friends, I invite you to step out and step up to your destiny, stay in the fight. And the reason why is because sometimes our ego can cloud who we are beyond I mean, and not not that we shouldn't have some ego, but I think it can cloud our belief systems a little bit beyond what we really are or what we can accomplish. And sometimes we need to step back from that and really pay attention to our mind and and let let the universe and those things, you know, filter in in a way that makes us really better at who we are and not. And, yeah, you got it. You know, you of course, you have to have you know, you have to be protective in all of those things, but the ego can be, um, it can, it can also be a rock. Um, if you're only focusing on that and you're not using the heart and sometimes you're like, Oh, that's foo foo. Well, you know what? The guys that have the most heart, no matter if they're a fighter, a father, 
you know, whatever a relation in relationships or whatever, they're the ones that win. They're the ones that when they find their heart and they realize that that is the key to everything, um, it, it changes your life. And I found mine. And now that I realize I've found it, I'm ready to share that with others. And, and, you know, I have my love me walls at home and all my stuff that I look around and go, wow, look what I did. But I realize if it wasn't for the heart um, and the emotion behind some of that, I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. Agreed. Absolutely. So last two things, Mark, as we start ending off the podcast, first thing is, are you able to tell us a little bit about your third book or is it a secret? Can you give people an idea of what the third book's going to be? Yeah, it's not a secret. Actually, um, I had I had approached Forbes and I wanted to I wanted them to look at my first books and they said, hey, you know, we, we we're in the business community. We're not in the, you know, the memoir community or the self-help community. And one day while I was meditating, because I had never had any money in my life, I, you know, I was struggling, you know, pretty much my whole life. And, you know, that caused problems with relationships and everything all over the years. But in the end, you know, as I retired, you know, I had a little bit of money, but I realized that it was my relationship with money that was bad. So I had a meditation one day where I meet this little guy in a tree and it's like this magical tree. And I call it the magic money tree. And he brings me in and he slides the little thing that by the door open and he goes, I was expecting you. And he laughs a little bit and he lets me in and he takes my entrepreneurial world that I've been creating and he puts it on his table, this little cobbler's table, and he spins it into the DNA of the tree. And then the leaves of the tree become money. And then the money only drops to the floor and I'm the only one that can pick it up is what he tells me. But he says, as I was leaving, he goes, wait, there's another thing to this. He goes, you cannot be greedy with your money. It cannot be blood money. It cannot be money that is, it has to be, you have to give back to others less fortunate than you. And so he was sharing the principles with me in the, in my meditation. And I ended up writing it into a book. And then I met a guy who actually, I had no idea, but he was a podcast guy. Uh, he has a, uh, a group called the Gentleman's Brotherhood. And he, and he actually painted trees. And I didn't know that when, we, when he interviewed me about my books. And we were leaving the restaurant. And he goes, I told him quickly about the book. And he goes, whoa, that's really strange because I paint trees. And I've had my art in the governor's mansion here in Florida in the United States. I said, no way. So I ended up commissioning him to paint a four by six painting called the money tree. And we're going to depict the principles of money and the, and we're going to charge quite a bit for that art. And then I'm going to give back from the proceeds of the art and we're going to see where it takes us. So, and then I'm going to get a hold of Forbes and ask them to publish it in, in Forbes magazine. Last thing, Mark, if people want to find out more about you and the work that you're doing, where would they go on the internet to find out more? Sure. I'm real easy to find. Um, uh, my website is www.mark.green. And that's it. No.com, no anything else, just mark.green. Fantastic. So thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the time. 
I know you're really busy, but I think people are going to listen to this and get a lot out of it. So that's really fantastic. And I really appreciate all the time that you've given me. To find out more about our sponsor, Crazy Monkey, go to crazymonkeydefense.com or to become a trainer, check out mastercrazymonkey.com. Until the next show, get out there and write hook life.